This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. My guest today left the beaches of Southern California following graduation to go on to become a successful entrepreneur, an internationally recognized social media influencer and luxury travel expert. Hello everyone, this is Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz and I'm excited for you to meet Tiffany Dowd. Tiffany's been named as one of the 25 most influential digital experts to follow, and I'm talking along the side Apple, Burberry, and Michael Kors. And she regularly contributes to USA Today, U.S. News & World Report, and has been quoted in Forbes and the Wall Street Journal on all things travel. She also happens to be a good friend. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, and thank you for such a lovely introduction. You know, many of us, Tiffany, are clamoring to get back to traveling, whether it's simply to see family and friends or even go on exotic destinations. I know you've been in contact with a lot of your clients in Europe, the Caribbean, Asia, and the Pacific, even here in the United States. Share with us, if you will, what they're saying, what they're doing, and what your thoughts are on how we are going to emerge and unfold from this pandemic. Well, I think we can all agree we all have a lot of pent-up desire to travel. And, you know, the fact that even myself, I haven't been on a plane since March of 2020, which is pretty amazing in itself, seeing as I would travel one or two weeks every month. Yesterday, actually, I got off the phone with a dear friend in Turks and Caicos, and they are telling me that the hotels in Turks and Caicos are filling up very quickly now. So what we're seeing is, is that this pent-up desire to travel, people are getting vaccinated, and they're starting to plan their next trips, which is very, very exciting because the travel industry certainly took a big hit last year. And we're slowly, maybe even quickly, starting to see that we're emerging from this. People are saying that they're ready and willing to travel. I did hear from someone today on Twitter when I did a poll saying that they're ready to travel when their kids can get vaccinated. And as we know that, you know, kids now 16 and above are eligible to get vaccinated. So I think we're seeing light at the end of this, this dark tunnel. Why does travel mean so much in your opinion? Why is it so special? Travel is about human connections and it's so educational. We keep going back to these human connections. It's quality time with people, whether it be your spouse, your multi-generational trips with your grandparents. It's about this fact that we have not been able to connect with people over the past year. So mm. this desire to travel is even more meaningful. Where does your interest for travel come from? Have you always wanted to travel? I have been traveling since a child. My parents were scuba divers way back in the day. And so they used to take us on diving trips in the Caribbean. So my love of the islands goes back to when I was very small. And I've always been fascinated with just new places and had a genuine curiosity. And it wasn't until after graduate school that I really got into the hotel and hospitality industry by working for a boutique hotel in the Caribbean, but then also becoming a hotel inspector for a Condé Nast publication. I was traveling quite a bit and seeing many, many beautiful places. But for me, it was always about the personal connections with the people at these places. And I love the fact that this passion of travel manifested into you becoming this entrepreneur. And it's, your story is really quite extraordinary. Right now, you are the founder and president of Lux Tiffany and Lux Social Media, specializing in online communication and social media marketing management in the luxury travel industry. Share with us, if you will, how does your company 
work with luxury hotel groups, especially now that the industry is trying to get back on its feet again? I've had the good fortune since 2009 of managing social media for luxury hotels, private islands, and destinations all around the world. It's our job as both as an influencer and as a company to inspire people to travel the places that we're sharing. Back in 2009, I was the first social media agency to manage social media on behalf of a luxury hotel. Now in this time when we haven't been able to travel, the idea of sharing a property or a hotel or a destination on social media to continue to build the dream for people to travel has been more important than ever. We're working with our hotels that are now starting to open. We have a um, hotel client in French Polynesia that will be opening May 1st, which is very exciting. And just being able to be a source of information, especially when health and safety is a huge concern for people right now, to share what the hotels are doing along these lines and to also inspire people to travel to their destinations. So 2009, you and I have known each other a really long time. We have. I remember years ago when social media was just beginning to evolve and you were fascinated by it. I, I couldn't quite get it back then. And we'd be somewhere and you'd be on your phone, you'd be trying to figure it out. And you opened up this Twitter account and I know that you thought you were going to hate it, but you didn't. Why did you first open up that account? You have a great memory with that because I started Twitter because I was annoyed with it. I was annoyed. <laughs> what is this tweeting thing? I'm going to have to to tweet. And I started my social media account as Lux Social Media until I had the advice of a, actually a Hollywood producer who advised me to say, turn yourself into a brand personality. People identify more with people. And so that's when I changed my name on Twitter to Lux Tiffany because at the time I was a luxury hotel inspector for a Condé Nast publication. And it just made sense that my Tiffany was my real name. And so to put a face behind the personality that was showing people all the five-star luxury hotels that I was visiting. And that's how I was using social media. I wanted to give people a window into the places I was seeing and inspire people to go those places. Oh, amazing. Okay. You talked about being in sales and marketing for that luxury hotel in the Caribbean, a family-owned hotel, and you had this light bulb moment that ultimately led to you starting your business. Do you remember that? I was actually at the spa at a hotel in Antigua, and I was about 15 minutes into a lovely massage overlooking the Caribbean Sea when the light bulb went off. I could not relax at that moment. <laughs> I was thinking, I have to get off this table. I have things to do. I've got to <laughs> potentially start this business. And I went to my favorite client at the time and I said, I have an idea to have a business that will manage social media behind the scenes for your hotel. What do you think? Fortunately, I had some wonderful people who were very supportive of me, including family, people in the industry who readily supported me. And again, this is back in 2009 when people really didn't understand what this meant. And I remember the client saying, I don't know what you're talking about, but I think this is a good idea. <laughs> I'm so grateful to those people, including you, who were very supportive of me as a female entrepreneur doing something that was very novel at the time. And I didn't understand it at the time, and I certainly do now. It's been an amazing entrepreneurial path for you. Because since then, you have been all over the world, 20 countries, five different continents. Is there one trip that stands out as a favorite of yours? There's one in particular. 
I think you know um, that my grandfather um, was a singer in Shanghai in the yes. 1930s. Yes. And my great-grandfather actually was the first Chinese man born in Canada. And of note, he's on the short list to be on the $5 banknote right now as a distinguished Canadian. So we're waiting to see what the results will be for that. That's cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And so heading back to Shanghai, I was able to visit the hotel that my grandfather performed at. He was a jazz singer and he performed with a big band and he was an MC for these um, dining and dance clubs. The Fairmont Peace Hotel, which at the time was the Cathay Hotel, would be uh, the host to celebrities and it was the Paris of the East at the time before the Japanese invaded Shanghai. And it was a very, very glamorous time. And so I had the chance to visit the actual jazz bar and the hotel and see where my grandfather performed. And I will tell you, it was truly a life-changing moment to say, this is why I travel. If these walls could talk, if I could go back in time and see my grandfather perform here in Shanghai on the Bund, that's something that stands out for me a lot is, is to know that I could go that far and feel so close to my grandfather who has since passed away. So special. All right, let's go back in time a little bit. You grew up in Palos Verdes, California. What did you want to be when you grew up? What was the dream job? I thought I wanted to be a lawyer when I was little. And then I was always very interested in journalism. For some reason, you know, when I would be in the car, I would want to listen to talk radio. And I would take cassette tapes, blank cassette tapes, and I would make my own radio programs, including commercials. (laughs) And so... (laughs) I very much wanted to be a journalist, and so I studied broadcast journalism at the University of Southern California, and I very much loved that. But I knew at the time a career in TV was not the right fit for me. And so that's when I headed back east to Boston University to study a print journalism degree in business and economics journalism. And it challenged me in every way. Number one, it was cold. (laughs) So I was coming, coming to the East Coast, and it was completely opposite to what my comfort zone was. And secondly, I had been majoring in TV and broadcast journalism, and now this was a print journalism degree, and it was a little bit more intense. It was a little bit more challenging for me because I was 22 at the time when I moved to Boston. I was very young, and so the challenge for me was to, to come to a new city not knowing anybody and make it my own. And you know, fortunately, I was able to do that by interning for a lovely woman named Joan, who managed at the time the Newbury Street League. And she quickly introduced me to so many people in the city of Boston. And I knew that when I was finished with my degree, I was not done with the city. There was something more for me here. And now, almost 25 years later, I'm still here. You're still here. <laughs> One of the best cities in the world. And we're so lucky that you're here, that's for sure. When you graduate, now you've gone to USC and and you went to Boston University, you've got your your graduate degree, and your first job is at a small marketing firm, and then your second job is at a big PR agency in Boston Hill Holiday. And you talk about learning really important lessons about yourself, having worked at those two very different places. What did you learn? You know, I started a small integrated marketing agency. And after a couple of years, I did take this job at Hill Holiday, which was an absolute dream job. It was the ad agency in Boston. And what I learned was that bigger was not better for me. This was a large agency and I was working on um, financial services accounts. I think it was Bank of America and Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare were my accounts. And while it had all the prestige of being part of such a wonderful company, I was better suited for a smaller environment. Mm. 
moving forward from that, also realizing that becoming my own boss was sort of what I was destined to be as well. My parents were both very entrepreneurial own their own businesses. And I think I, I definitely take after that in that regard. And I can't imagine it being any other way now than being my own boss. Once you flip that switch and you do become an entrepreneur, I think it's probably really hard to go back and try and work for somebody else after you've done it on your own for a while. Absolutely. There was something, I believe it was Barbara Corcoran who had said, you know, you go into this with being very naive because you, that almost failure is not an option, but you don't know what the pitfalls are. So you're not afraid. So you go in it with a hundred percent passion and you just keep going and looking back, I go, my God, I must've been fearless because if I knew what I know today, I, I don't know that I would have blazed such a trail at the time. So You know, the fact that nobody had done this before was something that allowed me to evolve with it when it comes to social media. You then were at a private club in Boston membership. You were doing that family-owned luxury hotel. That really moves you into the hospitality industry. And at the time, you even have admitted, uh, you know, I didn't know anything. I'm a journalism major. How did you go about learning everything that you felt you needed to learn I made sure that I connected with people that were very either influential or very experienced in the industry. And I was fortunate that I did have several people who would take me under their wing and I would almost sit back and just observe people. Mm. And I wouldn't try to just jump in and say I knew everything, but just to sit back and again, being very green at what this was, trying to understand the hospitality industry by, by learning from some of the best people. And there was a variety of networking events throughout the Caribbean at the time that I would attend. And those were instrumental for me to get to know people and to have them get to know me as well. I think networking is something that we know we need to do. We understand it's part of our career, whether we're an entrepreneur or we're working for somebody else. But it's not something that people, I think, are instinctual about for the most part and sometimes don't do very well. How do you feel like you did do it well besides observing? I think that's a really key word. I believe that networking is about building that relationship with people. It's getting to know someone when you don't need something from them. Mm. This idea that you have a genuine interest in their business and you want to help them succeed, even if it means nothing to gain on your own side. I think that is just incredibly important because at the end of the day, you want to work with people that you trust and people who are supportive of you. And we've seen that right now in the luxury travel industry. We are all trying to help each other get through this very dark time. And I've been out there trying to support people in any way I can. And it's not for my own financial gain. It's to really see our industry thrive. 11 years later, you have definitely earned the trust of people in the luxury travel industry. And some people, when they hear the word luxury, they think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. How do you define luxury? There's two ways I define luxury. To me, time is your greatest luxury. I think that luxury is about having quality time with people in places. And I also think that luxury is in the details. You might have a three-star hotel that's just beautiful, but then you go to a five-star hotel and it's really about the details and the emotions and the connections that you have and anticipating your needs. That's what true luxury is, but it's really about time. So We can think about travel as that, that we're taking the time to travel, and that's a great luxury for us today. And I think we certainly appreciate that more than ever coming out of this pandemic. Mm. 
I have to ask you about being that hotel inspector for Condé Nast because I've known you for so long and that was such an interesting time in your life. How did you become a hotel inspector and what does a hotel inspector do? It was all about the networking. So as I was working for this family run hotel, I had met the team that was part of this luxury travel publication several years before. A couple of years later, they were looking for a hotel inspector for their publication for the Boston area. They reached out, asked me if I knew somebody. And of course I said, why not me? And they hired (laughs) me almost immediately. Now it wasn't till a few years later, many years later, actually, they were looking to hire someone else new. And this person went through an interview process of maybe five different interviews. I went back to the publisher and I said, why didn't you interview me? You know, like I, you gave five interviews to this person, but you hired me on the spot. I don't understand. She goes, we had been interviewing you for years. And it was then uh-huh. that I realized that everything we do and every time we go out, we're presenting ourselves. and you might be interviewing for your next job. So to think about what your social media presence is, is that something you'd want someone hiring you to be looking at? And because every moment you could be interviewing for your next job. So I took that as a great lesson. That is a great lesson. You do this for a decade or more, I believe. I can only imagine the stories that you have. But go back to what do you do as a hotel inspector and then tell me a story about being a hotel inspector. Well, I have many. Um, Being a hotel inspector, you know, of course, you have your checklist of the requirements of what it would entail to be included in this particular luxury travel publication. Now, there's different types of roles of being a hotel inspector. You might be working for a a consortium, a, a hotel group. So we have our, you know, brand standards as to what we're looking for in a particular hotel. Of course, service is a big part of that. So having to go and experience this is very important because you need to meet with people. You need to see that it it might be a beautiful hotel, but it might not be something that would fit this publication because the service wouldn't be up to standards. Now, to get back to what it's really like, I (laughs) recently saw on my Facebook memories that I had to see 17 hotels on five islands in 12 days. Oh, my Lord. And I remember how busy it was. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> if anybody could see me now, I'm in the Caribbean and I am hustling, getting from plane to plane and hoping the planes leave on time in the Caribbean and they're not always so reliable. And it was a lot of hotels and there's a lot of paperwork as well. So while it is very glamorous, there's the, the business side to it as well. And I will readily admit I became a hotel bath amenity junkie. And at some point, my husband said, this has to stop. And he made me donate them all. So. Oh, my gosh. Okay. What's the best amenity that you managed to get on your trip? Oh, goodness. There are just so many. I think, you know, hotels today are so great at personalizing things. There's one time that a hotel had a photo of my husband. It was a hotel in Italy, in Florence. And the general manager put a picture of my husband in my room. What he didn't tell me was that he actually coordinated with my husband to be on FaceTime. So when I was walking in the room, the photo started talking to me. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. It's really kind of cool. That's the one thing about the luxury hotel market is they're very, very creative people. So it goes beyond just, you know, bath amenities and things. It's about those kind of really fun details they can do that tailor it to your interest. If you love animals or dogs, I've had pictures of my cats and dogs in my room, which has always been so nice because often, you know, of course I'm traveling alone. So it's nice to have those personal connections with me. 
Well, pre-COVID, you talked about, you know, that crazy travel schedule that you were on. And since then, you've been living pretty much at home before you were in and out of a suitcase. And now you've been at home. What's that been like to be at home this much? (laughs) I've gone 100 miles an hour to zero. (laughs) Wow. And I have to say, it's been wonderful. I'm certainly ready to travel. I'll be traveling in the next two weeks and I'll be dusting off my suitcases. I think it has given me time to breathe. I have been so fortunate that I have traveled some of the most wonderful places, but my schedule never made sense. So one day I could be in Cape Town, the next week I'd be in Hong Kong, the next week I would be in Sao Paulo. And then somebody would say to me, oh, I saw your last trip. It was so amazing. And I would have to stop and think, which trip are they talking about? Right. So I, I never want to take those moments for granted again. There would be times that my schedule would be so busy that I would say, oh, I have to go to Paris next weekend. Well, who has to go to Paris? <laughs> Let's rephrase that. I mean, of course, I mean, that's great. It's allowed me time for reflection. It's allowed time for you know me to connect with people in a different way. We're all doing this on Zoom now. I'm ready to get back. I don't think I will be traveling at the pace I was before but I certainly will have fresh eyes on things and just feel like I'm no longer in a perpetual state of jet lag, which has been very good for my body as well. And speaking of jet lag, I was about to ask you, what's your best advice for dealing with jet lag? Because I know you certainly have experienced it. I always say on an airplane, never drink alcohol, keep hydrating. When you land in a destination, let's say we're going Boston to London, don't go to sleep right away. Even though you're tired, stay up as long as you can. Exercise is a really big, important key to helping you get over jet lag. So, you know, just taking good care of your health. But most importantly, I believe hydrating and really trying to get on the time zone the best you can. But it's never easy. And I don't care how much of a pro you are. It is tough. I agree. It (laughs) takes me a good two to three days still, no matter how good I thought I was getting over it. You're traveling in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to presume it's for business, but where do you want to go to first personally? This actually isn't for business. I'm going to Turks and Caicos. A wonderful. It's not going to be a business trip. It will just be leisure. Um, it is my home away from home. It's where my husband and I were married and um, had our honeymoon. And it's just a really special place for us. And it's also easy to get to. So I think that when we're talking about post-COVID and I'm vaccinated now, and what's a place that is relatively easy to travel? Um, Turks and Caicos is proximity-wise very close and some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. But after that, I'm really looking forward to getting back to London and Europe and seeing some of my clients. Can I hide in your suitcase going to Turks and Caicos, please? (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. I know you believe, as I do, that if you put forth positive energy into the world, the right people, the right opportunities come your way. Where does that philosophy come from and how does it play itself out in you living your best life personally and professionally? I am all about positive energy and I think that's why you and I became fast friends because, you know, I tend to attract and be attracted to people that exude positive energy and I want to be around people that lift me up, bring me up. And you'll see through my social media, it's all about positivity and really focusing on optimism you've always told me, you know, you put it out there and, you know, good things will come. And I even think back to when I first started my business, I put down on a list, who would my dream clients be? And slowly but surely, I checked all of those people off. This idea of manifesting positivity, staying away from negative people, I've really had to focus a lot on that recently with some family health issues and things like that. And it's gotten me through some really tough times. And it's, um, it's definitely at the core of my being. Love it. 
Well, I highly encourage all of you to follow Tiffany so that you can stay on top of all things travel. Tiffany, what's the best way for people to follow you and be in touch with you? Because I know you have a number of different platforms, so spit them all out there for us. <laughs> I'm on Instagram at, at LuxTiffany, L-U-X-E-T-I-F-F-A-N-Y. I'm on Twitter sharing all the latest luxury travel news, also at LuxTiffany. Also on LinkedIn at Lux Tiffany, and I have a Facebook page at Lux Tiffany. There you go. All those options. <laughs> TikTok too, but I don't use TikTok as much, but Instagram and Twitter mostly are where I am. I love it. Thanks so much for being with us today and sharing how you have connected the dots of your life experiences. It's been just so much fun to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. You have been an inspiration to me as a female entrepreneur, and I appreciate your friendship and all of your support as always. Right back at you. And if travel is a part of you living your best life, may today's episode inspire you to do so and have happy and safe travels. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self check out fasttwitchmedia.space.